You know, I want to thank you for allowing me to speak this morning. Thank you, Tracy, for for asking, uh, for the elders, for approving. We'll see if that was a good decision or not in a little bit, but thank you. We've been addressing issues that people bring up when talking about Jesus. They like what they hear about Jesus. They like a lot of the things Jesus says, but then there's also some other things that Jesus says that they're not so sure about. And they say, I want to believe, but. I want to believe, but. I like what I'm hearing about Jesus. I want to believe, but. Is Jesus really the only way? Is Jesus really the only way? See, the exclusivity of Jesus' claim is very, very difficult. It's difficult for many. It's difficult, honestly, for some of us sometimes. The exclusivity. What about all these other good people in the world? There are good people in the world. There's other people, other, other faith groups. There are good people in those faith groups. What about them? Or what about if you're new to Christianity or maybe you're just kind of exploring it a little bit, exploring faith and spirituality? What about, what about my family? What about my family that doesn't believe? Or my friends? What about them? And that makes it very very difficult to grab a hold of this idea that Jesus could be the only way? The only way? Really? You know, we see in our world an increased call for tolerance. We see uh, bumper stickers like this. Many many of y'all seen something, some version of this, right? This call to coexist Coexist despite our, our, there's all kinds of things up here, but like despite our gender differences, the big thing is our religious differences, symbols up here of, of Muslim, of Jewish, of Christianity, of Taoism. That's, that's, a, that's this one, the little yin-yang thing. Taoism, of Hinduism. And so you can see why in light of things like this, a call to exclusivity, a claim by someone of exclusivity can be really, really challenging for people in our world. It's challenging in this world, and exclusivity appears on the surface to be very, very narrow. A very narrow, narrow point of view, which I'm sure you can understand the hesitancy. But we need to help our friends. We need to find a way, and, and what I'm going to try to do this morning is is not so much defend Jesus' claim, but see if I can help you in engaging with people who are maybe seeking information about Jesus, who are maybe curious about the Christian faith, friends that you may have, co-workers, schoolmates, wherever they may be, that some way I can equip you to deal with that, that but. I like Jesus' but. Is He really the only way? We need to help our friends to look at the claims that Jesus made, to look at the things that Jesus did, and to ask some serious, serious questions. I want to challenge you this morning to recognize that there is a difference. There is a difference between tolerating, right, between being tolerant, between tolerance and patience. 
There's a difference between tolerance and patience. There is a difference between accepting anything and everything as a possible equal of possible value, that, that there is a difference between accepting all of that as a strong possibility, as another truth, another path to the same place we're all trying to go. There's a difference between that and coexisting, living in the same community together. And patience is a key attitude in these interactions. We need to be patient with our friends. After all, God has been enormously patient with us, hasn't he? God's been patient with me, I know. Really patient. And so how can we not extend that patience to our friends, right? You know, in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, Einstein was taking a flight somewhere. And he boarded this plane. The flight was going to take, oh, maybe a couple of hours. And he sits down next to uh, another person, another you know, uh, person that's flying somewhere. And, and he says, well, you know what? It, we're taxiing out. It's, it's going to be a couple of hours. Maybe we can do something to help the time go by a little bit faster. Right? We, can, we can maybe play a game. And the other passenger says, well, what, what kind of game did you have in mind? He goes, I don't know. We'll ask each other questions to see if the other person can answer it. You know, and, and the other pastor's like, well, <laughs> that's nice, but I happen to know who you are. You're Albert Einstein. There's probably not many questions I could ask that you don't know. He goes, well, here, how about this? How about we try to level the playing field a little bit? If I ask a question and you get it right, I'll pay you $500. $500 for each question you get right. And if you ask me a question and I can get it right, you only have to pay me $5. And the pastor thought about it, trying to make sure it's not a trick by a really smart person, right? And he says, oh, okay, okay, we can do this. We can do this. And of course, you know, Einstein goes first because he's the one who has the, the most money to lose in this uh, endeavor, right? So Einstein asks this other passenger, he says, what is the distance between the earth and the moon? What is the difference between the, what, what, is that, what is that span? How far is that? And the other pastor says, and thinks, thinks about it and says, well, you know, oh, I, I know I've been taught this before. Uh, we talked about it in school, but I can't, you know, I can't, I know it's far, it's far, but I can't remember the exact, the exact number. <sighs> I guess, I, I guess, I, I guess I can't answer the question. I think I said it backwards. If you can't answer, you got to, you got to pay. He says, I don't recall, so he pulls out $5 out of his pocket, and he hands it to Einstein. He goes, yeah, I can't answer your question. He says, but, but what is the answer? Right? And Einstein says, oh, it's 238,900 miles, the difference between Earth and the moon, the span. So the passengers, or the Einstein tells, it's, okay, the passengers, it's your turn. And so the passenger thinks for a minute, what could I possibly ask Einstein? So he says, I, he goes, what goes up a hill with three legs but comes down a hill with four? What goes up a hill with three legs and comes down a hill with four? And Einstein thought, and he thought, and he's like, wow, I, I mean, I think it's maybe some kind of riddle or something, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't figure it out. So Einstein pulls out $500. He goes, here you go. But, but I'm curious, as I give you your money, what what does go up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And the pastor exclaimed, I don't know. <laughs> I just need your $500, please. 
Something we need to keep in mind about this and many other religious discussions that we may have with people is that we are not always going to have all the answers. I'm not always going to have all the answers. Tracy's not always going to have them. The elders aren't going to always have them. Peyton's not always going to have them. You're not always going to have them. And your friends who may be asking you these questions, is Jesus really the only way? They're probably not going to get all the answers that they want to get. They have legitimate questions. I have what I think are legitimate questions and some that I do not have an answer for. So the reality is we're not going to get them all. That's why it's called faith. It's not knowledge. I mean, there's knowledge built into it, but it's called faith. We put our faith in something, and I like to use the word trust. We put our trust in something. That's why we hope. Paul said in Romans 8, In this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what they see? Who hopes for what you already have? I don't hope to have a bottle of water up here. I actually have one. Right? But Paul says we're saved in this hope. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Now we see only dimly in, in a reflection, in a, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face, talking about when Christ returns. Then we'll see face to face. Paul says, Now I know in part but then I will fully know. See, I am confident that Paul, Paul who had the Damascus Road experience, who the resurrected Jesus appeared to him in blinding light and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Remember the old King James Version from Bible class, right? He experienced Jesus. He had an interaction with Jesus. Paul knows way more about Jesus than I do. Yet it's Paul who says, I only know in part. Paul recognizes that he doesn't have all the answers. And it's not just that we won't have all the answers. Our friends probably won't get all their answers either. And getting all the answers to all our questions is, well, one, it's just not the way God operates. How many of you guys have questions that you, you've probably said to somebody? When I get to heaven... Right? I'm going to ask, right? I've got questions. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask because I don't have all the answers now, and I think when we get there, we'll, we'll get them. I also think that when we get there, we're not even going to have to ask. It's going to be obvious, or we're just not going to care about those silly questions anymore. But getting the answers to all our questions, one, is not how God works, and two, the, the idea and the concept of trying to get all the answers is more likely us projecting our understanding of leadership onto God. We say, this is what I expect from a leader. I expect a leader to know what's going on. I expect a leader to tell me. It's, it's really almost connected, especially in Western world, to our, our, our thoughts and our views and, and our, um, our democratic society where we elect leaders, Right? We, hopefully, hopefully you're an informed voter, right? And you, you study and you look at who the candidates, what do they stand for, what do they plan to do, what are some of the things they hope to accomplish, what are some of the things they're going to oppose. And we get that from the candidates who exist, and we try to make the, 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 the best choice among the lesser of two evils. 
We try to make the best choice among two people. And, and we try to project the same kind of concept on to Jesus, like we're voting for a president or for a governor. I want to know exactly how Jesus plans to handle everything before I can throw my lot in with him. And that's just not how it works because Jesus is not like any earthly leader. He is holy. He is righteous. He is gracious. He is terrifying. But He is a good, good King. And we are not voting Jesus into power. Jesus already has all the power. We are just working on whether or not we and our friends are going to believe in Him if we're going to trust him. So here's the claim that Jesus makes related to to this argument. Is Jesus really the only way? Here's where it comes from in uh, the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. He's talking with some of his followers. They're hanging out. He says, I'm going to go away, and, and you'll know where to find me. Poor Thomas, every time he's depicted in the Bible, he's just all confused. And, you know, that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. And Thomas is like, Lord, we, we don't know the way. You're saying we should know, and I'm telling you right now, we don't know. We don't know the way. <clears throat> and, and Jesus replies, he says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And he says this, that no one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. He might as well be saying, no one comes to God except through him. No one attains salvation except through him. No one can be holy except through Jesus. There is no other way. And the question our friend really has is, is there truth in Jesus' claim. That's the real question. Is Jesus really, is that true? Jesus claims he's the only way. Is that claim true? And I'll tell you, to adequately discuss this topic in a relational and caring way with a non-Christian, we must, you must, I must, put ourselves in the shoes of a non-Christian. We must put ourselves in the shoes of a non-Christian. Because for us, it's easy to say, it's true. You know how I know it's true? It's true because Jesus said it. But for a non-Christian, that's not going to be enough. You can pull out your Bible or open it on your, your device, and you can say, well, here in the Bible it says, right? We open to John chapter 14, show our neighbor. Look right there in the Bible, it says. It says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And that makes it true. No, that's not going to be enough. The Bible says it so. Jesus said it. Other people in the Bible said it's true. For 2,000 years we've been saying it's true. As if that like, we've always done it this way is the best argument, right? We fight against those in our own life. Just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that's the way it always has to be done. And just because people have been saying Jesus is the way for 2,000 years doesn't necessarily by itself make that true. It's not going to be adequate for the non-Christian. None of these things help our neighbors, help our friends with this claim. And when we say it's true because Jesus said it, we're basically basing the truth of that statement on our understanding of Jesus, a person that this non-Christian doesn't know. 
But if you're not at that point, like the non-Christian, you can't say that you'll have to find some other logical reason to believe the claim. We need to help them find a reason for the claim to be true. But something we need to understand about truth is truth is true because it's true. It doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter where you read it or how you come across it. Truth is true because it is true. Now, we don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of Jesus' claim about his identity, about his mission, about his purpose, and about his teachings, but I do want to summarize it in this one small point. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity is a farce. Without Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins and resurrecting a few days later, conquering sin, without that event, that two-part event, there is no Christianity. There's no need for it. We'd all be fools. And then you start to dive into these deeper questions. This is the rabbit hole we're not going to go down in, but it's like, if there's other possibilities besides Jesus... If, on the coexist bumper sticker, you know, if, if there's other possibilities, if there's multiple paths for God, then why did Jesus die? What is the purpose of his death? What did his death conquer? If there is another way to God, then we don't need Jesus on the cross. What do you think Jesus prayed in the garden? He used fancy language from the King James, you know, let this cup pass from me. Jesus prayed, if we can do this some other way, let's do that. Because he's looking at a humiliating, physically demanding and painful, agonizing death. He knows what's coming. He's probably seen a crucifixion before in his life. And that's why he prays so earnestly in the garden. If there's some other way, some other way, some other way, then let's go down that path. There wasn't any other way. Let me offer you a resource to study. This is definitely a study type resource. It's a book by Timothy Keller called The Reason for God. If you want to write this down, if you want to pick it up, maybe you already have it, maybe you've read it. I'll tell you right now, this is a study book. This is not pick it up and read it and go, wow, that just changed my life, and you put it down and you never read it again. You hand it off to a friend and off you go. This is a book that you read and you study and you reread and you study some more because it is thick. And he devotes two whole chapters, one chapter to the death and one chapter to the resurrection, and gives the case for the reason for God and what God is doing in all of this. It is a deep-thinking kind of book. But we're going we're gonna to proceed forward on the premise that Jesus' claim that he is the way, we're going to proceed with the premise that that is true. Right? I'm not going to defend it for you all because I think Probably everybody in here has already accepted that as truth, right? 
What we're going to talk about is how do we talk to our friends? How do we help our friends, our family, our coworkers, our classmates, whatever that may be? How do we help them with that struggling question? I want to give you some insight into how people think and some tools to help you navigate this challenging subject, okay? Does that sound fair? All right. First, let's talk about how people think. Where's my wife? She, she back with her? Okay. Because she's going to roll her eyes as soon as I put up the slide. She knows that this is one of my favorite topics. I love, I love the, the, the social sciences, the, the psychology, things like that, to try to understand how people think. You know, why is it we do the crazy things we do? Why do I do the crazy things I do? This is called the ladder of inference. And basically what it is is a roadmap for why people do what they do. And it starts at the bottom, and let me explain how it works. So the bottom, it says observable data and experiences. The observable data is all the data that is possibly available to us. It could be my notes, it could be my clicker, it could be the volume of my voice, the sound of the air conditioner coming on and going off, the temperature in this room, how bright or dim it is, whether a cloud goes by, you know, you see the, like the, the windows will dim down, the cloud goes by in front of the sun and then they come back up. Right? All that stuff is all the available data, but humans don't use all the hu available data. What we do is we take it up a notch and we select data. We select data from what we observe. So I'll ignore the, the windows where they get darker light, and I'll ignore the temperature because I'm already up here and I've gone this far, so I've got to finish. It doesn't matter if I'm hot or cold, right? I'm just going to keep on going, right? And I'm going to pick certain data for me right now, I'm picking the data on my notes. I'm picking interaction with you through eye contact and looking and seeing if you're agreeing with me or if you're sitting there like this going, oh, you're crazy, right? That's data that I'm using to determine how I'm going to continue speaking to you. So that's what we select data. And then we add meaning to that data. We say, oh, that person must be unhappy. Maybe it's just how they rest, right? And their, their smile is always turned upside down. That's just how they look. Right, Lonnie? Right, Lonnie? I'm laughing because I'm, I'm picking on him. Lonnie's always smiling. Uh, we add meanings, we make assumptions, we draw conclusions, and then we begin to adopt these beliefs. We begin to say, I believe this. Because of the data I selected, because of the assumptions I made, because of all these things, I believe this. And from that belief is where we take action. I go and mow my yard because I don't have a yard. But I've seen Peyton mow his yard. Um, and he, he looks at the observable data and he says, that grass is getting long. Um, I, I, I'm going to add some meaning to it that like, if it gets any longer, it's going to become an issue and a problem. I assume that if I don't mow it, it'll just continue to get longer. And so I'm going to draw this conclusion that it probably needs to be mowed. And so my belief is that it's my responsibility to mow this yard because Lord knows Darian's not going to do it. Um, and so he's going to take that action and then you go out there on Friday and you see Peyton mowing his yard. That's how it works. Now, there's also a danger in this thing because... There's something called a reflexive loop, and this is the danger. That is, as we begin to adopt beliefs, there's this loop. It's not a positive loop. It's a negative loop. It's a bad loop. We, we begin to select more data that supports the decisions that we're making, the, the beliefs that we're adopting. As I begin to adopt beliefs, I begin, there's more data out there, and I go, oh, that supports this belief, and that supports this belief. That, no, that one doesn't. This one supports that belief, and we continue to build and build and build this case for adopting this belief. 
unless I purposely set out to allow other potential conflicting data, then I will never experience or think or reason about anything outside of what I already know. And that's a challenge for Christians because we can be super guilty of this, right? It's kind of back to that. That's the way it's always been for 2,000 years. We've always met in buildings just like this one for 2,000 years. Until you start looking back at the data and going, oh, actually, we haven't. You know, we've done this for 2,000 years. Actually, no, we haven't. (laughs) We haven't, right? And so that's a challenge in not just religious studies, but in science and math and linguistics and all the disciplines that that we have in education and and research. But in, in theology, in the study of God, If we are not careful, we will only study the things that we claim to know now. And it would be irresponsible to only use the data that supports my current position. Responsible theology, responsible theology urges us, demands us, demands from us that we seek information from resources other than what we are accustomed to. Now, doesn't mean we have to agree with them, right? We don't have to agree with them, but we need to give them an honest hearing so we can say yay or nay. After all, isn't that what we're asking our friends to do when we talk about Jesus and they're not a Christian? We're asking them to consider data that they've never selected before. Maybe they didn't even know it was out there. Or asking them to consider something new that may change the way they think. Listen, most of the hesitancy about Jesus being the only way is more about emotion than it is about logic. I want you to hear that again. Most of the hesitancy about Jesus being the only way is more about emotion than it is about logic. Emotionally, what's going to happen if I accept Jesus as the only way? Have you ever considered what's at risk in someone's life if they take that step? What if they had a non-believing parent who's already died? Would that make accepting Jesus' claim really difficult? What if they had many good friends and families that aren't Christians? Wouldn't that make accepting Jesus' claim difficult? Is it possible that our friends may think accepting Jesus as the only way means that they have to unfriend and shun others in their lives that they've known for years and years and years? That would make accepting Jesus' claim very, very difficult. We don't really know the exact reason why a person hesitates unless we seek to understand them first. Y'all probably know the old saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And sometimes we can come across, bully might be a little too harsh of a word, but we can come across a little too forceful. We've got this knowledge, and you've got to know it, and you need to know it, and you've got to accept it now because time is of the essence let me give you some tips on how we can do this well. Number one is keep your cool. Keep your cool. 
Never get, and, and this may seem hard and it may seem contrary to things you've thought before, never get offended when someone doesn't believe in Jesus' identity. Don't be offended at that. Now you're like, but Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't be offended by that. There was tons of people in Jesus' time that didn't believe he was who he said he was. You didn't see him pitching a fit and getting upset, did you? He is the one who stood the most to lose by people not believing him. So keep your cool. Keep your cool. Second, that word, patience. Be patient. When you get in a discussion with someone and they have trouble with the exclusivity, exclusivity of Jesus' claim that he is the only way, don't get in a rush to prove them wrong. One, no one likes to be told they're wrong. Right? No one like, you don't like to be told you're wrong. Come tell me something today, I'll tell you that you're wrong, and then see how you feel about it. Okay? So some of y'all come after me and tell me something, I'm just going to say you're wrong. It doesn't matter what you tell me. Right? You're wrong. And you're going to be like, oh, I don't like that. I do not like being told that I am wrong. But don't get in a hurry to prove them wrong. You know, I don't think we have them nearly as much anymore. But remember the, the days of debates, right? I'm not saying we never have debates. There's debates happening all the time. But specifically religious debates. You get somebody from this faith group and somebody from this faith group, and they're going to debate some topic about faith, right? They're going to de- debate the, the Trinity, or they're going to debate baptism, or they're going to debate uh, whatever. You know, there's tons of things we could debate, right? I don't know about you, but I have never... Seen. I've been to a few debates. I have never seen anyone come away from a debate who was on one line of thinking come away and go, oh, you know what? I think the other person was right. Right? They just came with such convicting points. No, all we do is write down those points so we can go back to our selecting data and select the data that better supports our points and, defend and defeats theirs. That's what we do in debate. So don't get in a rush. This is a time thing. And remember, God is patient. God is patient. God is patient not wanting any to perish. And so, are we not able to show patience towards them who are still on that path of discovery? We need to be patient. Number three, listen. You know, so much of talking about Jesus is actually not talking. We could do all ourselves probably a big favor. I know I could. By talking less. It's funny to say as a person who's up here preaching right now, but. You know, back when the telegraph was the fastest method of long distance communication, a young man applied for a job as a Morse code operator at a, at a local communications place in his town. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address uh, listed, and when he arrived, he entered, and there was a large, busy office with lots of people going around, including the sound of a telegraph, off in the background. And this office was blustering, and papers going here and there, and people talking and coordinating, and in the lobby, there were several chairs, and there were several other people sitting there, apparently there, waiting for the same job interview that he was there for. And so he sits there, they sit there, they all sit there for a while, and they're told to, to just sit and wait, uh, and they would, be, they would be summonsed in a little bit uh, to go for the interview. Well, after a little while, this man stood up out of the lobby and walked into 
pushed the little, you know, the little half door at the desk, pushed it open, and walked back and walked straight back into the back office. And all the other applicants are like, what's he doing? What? They haven't called us yet. They haven't called us. And then a few moments later, the, uh, the, the, the manager comes out with the man, and he says, thank you, everybody, for coming. The position has been filled. And all these people are like, wait a minute. We've been sitting here. He's actually the last one that came in, and we didn't even get a chance to interview yet. And the manager said, the entire time you've been sitting here, that telegraph in the back room has been saying, if you're here for the interview, come to the back office. The job is yours. And the first one that got it, not that they didn't all know Morse code, was the one who chose to listen to what was going on around them. As Christians, we should adhere to the advice from James chapter 1 to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now, if you do want to talk, because sometimes we just can't help ourselves, we go to point number four. And that's ask questions. Ask questions. I already said, I don't think everyone's been, I don't think anyone's ever been persuaded by a debate. But here, here are some example questions, I think. Yeah. Imagine talking to someone about Jesus, about this exclusivity of he is the only way, and you're like, okay, David said to keep cool. It's freaking me out that this person doesn't believe this, right? And, 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 then, and then he said, then he, then he said that we need to uh, be patient. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to be patient. This guy's freaking me out, but I'm going to be patient. Oh, listen. Let me listen to what they're saying. And you get to this point where you're going to talk. It's like, okay, well, well let me just ask you a question then. What are, you, what are your thoughts about Jesus? Just in general, what do you think about him? How do you feel about Jesus as a person? How do you feel about Jesus' teachings? Don't ask them bullet I'm already going too fast. Ask and let them talk and just listen. And just listen. Because many times people are like, you know what? I think Jesus is a pretty cool dude. I think Jesus is right about a whole lot of things. I think his teachings, I think if we would all follow Jesus' teachings, the world would be a way much better place. You know? His claim is kind of freaking me out a little bit about him being the only way. That might be a time to enter a question like, well, if there was any other way, then wouldn't that make Jesus' death meaningless? And in here, you, you, you've, you, you've heard, uh, I think it's mentioned every, every so often, the, the C.S. Lewis uh, um, approach to this about Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord, right? Those are the only options. And the liar and lunatic both fall on the side of it's not true, or he's Lord and he is true, and it is true. But through asking these questions, it's, you've got to make a choice. You've got to dismantle who Jesus is or accept him for who he says he is and who he's proven he is by his actions. 
because you can't call him a really good guy, but he was really messed up in a lot of things that he said. Because if he's lying about his identity, then what else did he lie about? Is love really the best way? Is patience, kindness, and goodness really the best way? Or maybe we should be a little more out for ourselves. What about taking care of the needs of others? Well, we probably don't need to do that either. You can see how without Jesus' claim being true, the entire Christian faith begins to crumble and fall like a house of cards. Listen, if you're hoping for the one piece of insight that would give you the edge you need to convince your friend that Jesus is the only way, the truth is you're not going to find it. Because there's a variety of different reasons, there's a variety of different circumstances. Your friend has their experiences, you have your experiences, their family has had their experiences, and their friends, and just, there's so many, it's so complex and so varying that there's no like, here's the answer, five bullet points, do this, do this, say this, say this, make them agree with you, and you're done. It's never going to happen. Because every time it's going to be situational and it's going to be different. And so that is why we're going to keep our cool. That's why we're going to be patient. That's why we're going to listen to what they say. And we're going to ask questions. We are going to have to wade through the murky water with our friends if we are to persuade them. No, if we are to help guide them to Jesus. We're going to have to wade through the murky water with them. It's not going to happen quickly. It's not going to be a one-time Bible study. It's going to be a journey. All right. So that's, that's what you need to take away from you. You know those questions? I've got more. I'll, I'll give those to the church office, and maybe we can send them out in the newsletter, and you can have those, print them out, put them in your back pocket, whatever you want. And you, you can add more questions to that. The idea is to just get them to talk. Don't assume what their issue is. Try to ask them what their issue is. And then through that, ask some more questions. And what you'll find is the person can convince themselves or the person is not convincible at this time in their life. Just remember, too, you may be planting a seed that doesn't germinate and bring forth life and, and produce something for years, for decades, for long after they've left your company and gone on wherever their life took them. It is not your job to save them. It's your job to bring Jesus to them. And so that's why we need to be cool. We need to be patient. We need to listen. And we need to ask questions, okay? Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we're grateful for your love and your kindness. We're thankful for, uh, especially in light of this subject, for your patience your patience with us, your patience with me. Lord, I pray that you, will, that you will gift some of that patience to each one of us. That as we are talking with someone and we bring forth some of these uh, topics, some of these issues that people uh, are, are tang get tangled up with, and they say, I, I, I want to believe, but that you will give us your patience in that moment. That we will not be self-righteous and high and mighty, that we will be humble 
and we'll be kind and gracious and that we will be patient. Help us to not be fearful. Fearful of what what we think we may say wrong or not say right. Or fearful that it's our responsibility to save this person, that if we don't do everything just right, that that it's going to be my fault that they didn't believe in your son. Lord, take that fear away from us. Help us to know and to understand that we may either be planting a seed or watering a seed that someone else planted and someone else may water it again later. We don't know everything about the journey this, this person's on, about the path they're on and what it will look like and how it will, how it will uh, transpire through their lives. So we pray that you will give us patience. We pray, pray that you will take away our fear and that we will be your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, and when it comes time, that we will be your voice in our community and that we will do so in ways that honor you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.